Hey, this is Tier Nagraj from the Sparking Entrepreneur Show, and today we have Scott Asai with us. Scott brings soft skills to hard skilled industries. He is a TEDx soft skills speaker. Manages control the retention and turnover rate at your company. Seventy five percent of people leave their job because of poor manager. Yet managers are underrated. Scott is here today with us to help us understand what to do. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kieran, for having me. Scott, very excited to host you. Let's begin with your journey. Tell us when did you choose entrepreneurship and speaking? Sure. So I chose entrepreneurship over fifteen years ago when I was working a full time job. I went back to school and I was in a master's program for organizational leadership. And in our second year of the program, you had to choose a focus. And at that time, I chose coaching because I actually had hired a coach. So while I was going to school, I was working with a coach and I was also in a master's program. And I liked it so much that towards right before I graduated, I basically asked my coach, how do you become one? And he told me two things. He said, number one, you have to choose a niche, figure out what is going to be an area you feel like you can specialize in. And then the second part is to make sure you can get paid for it. So that part isn't as easy. But I took that on. And once I graduated my program, then the next year I started and I did career coaching for a year with high school and college students because I had worked with youth. And then after that, I transitioned to mainly executive coaching, I would say over a period of time. And it wasn't until about five years ago that I somewhat pivoted from speak from coaching to speaking. And that's what I do right now. Totally. Now we understand where you come from and now we understand where you're going. Can you now tell us about soft skills? Let's, let's bring the expertise into picture now. Sure. So, so tell us about the industry. But let's begin with the industry. What industries do you work most in? So I think once COVID hit in 2020, the smartest choice for me to go industry-wise was technology because technology was able to adapt very quickly. So everything that they had that they were doing in person, they were able to transition very easily to virtual. And so immediately I had just done a TED talk and I wanted to go on the circuit and get on stage and speak in different places, but the world was pretty much shut down. So my first thought was to target technology companies and events to be able to speak at. And so I was able to do that for really the past three years or so. And so I would say primarily I've been speaking to hard skill industries, primarily technology about the importance of soft skills. Got it. Got it. So that's the industry. And uh, let's try to understand the soft skills now. What are some skills that you speak on most? So I would say the top three soft skills that I tend to address most of the time is in order, communication, number two would be leadership, and then number three would be emotional intelligence. I would say after that, I tend to talk about empathy a lot. I'm a big stickler for punctuality, so I like to talk about time management. But I would say for the most part, communication, leadership, and emotional intelligence are the three that are the most requested talks. Let's go under it, communication, leadership, and emotional intelligence in that order. Please okay. speak for it. Please speak about each one of them and how to improve as an entrepreneur, as a manager in each one of them, because you're a speaker for next five minutes, please go on. I, I'm listening. Sure. And yes. Starting with communication, I would say the part that gets overlooked the most is communication is a two-way street. And what people get wrong most of the time is they think to be a good communicator, I need to present myself well. Now that's correct. You need to be articulate. You need to clarify. 
you need to speak with a lot of passion. But I would say the part that people forget is you also have to listen. And so a lot of times, especially managers, have a difficult time being good listeners. And so I teach and I demonstrate and I do group tactics where we talk about how to actually role play active listening. So I will play you know, the manager and they will play the employee and we'll go back and forth. And I'll ask him, what, what do you see? What are things that I'm doing that prove to you that I could be a good listener? And things like body language and making sure you make eye contact, making sure you're not cutting people off and giving them advice when they don't ask for it. Those types of things are really underrated in communication. And when people are told that you're not a good communicator, they think immediately, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not good in front of people, right? But a lot of times it's because they're not a good listener. And that happens to come up a lot in one-on-one -on -one meetings, interviews, evaluations, when they're getting feedback, that tends to be a big thing. Uh, the second one we talked about is leadership. Now, leadership is one of those things that you can read a lot about. You can take courses, you can study under someone, you could even have a mentor. But when push comes to shove, the question is that, what type of leader are you? Now, most of the time, people have a difficult time answering that question because in my opinion, really great leaders are very self-aware. What does that mean? That means that leaders know what they're good at and they know what they're not good at. So they do more of what they're good at and they ask for help or they delegate in areas that they're weak in. Now, nobody is good at everything. So if you ever meet a leader who says, I don't have any weaknesses, he or she is a liar because that's not possible, okay? Over time, leadership is one of those things that you learn through trial and error. There's not a lot of people who are born leaders. And in fact, you can make the argument that no one is born a leader, that leaders are made over time. And the best teacher is experience. And unfortunately, experience usually means a lot, making a lot of mistakes. So you need to be comfortable in your own shoes. You need to give people an expectation of what they're gonna get from you. And a lot of leadership, I think, what makes a great leader, even from a good leader, and definitely from a bad leader, is the fact that great leaders are able to put others before themselves. So we wanna follow people who we feel like are gonna serve our needs, right? We want people to lead us when we feel like they care about us, they have their best interests for us, right? And so I'd make the argument that the best leaders really are servant leaders. And when people hear it, that's not what they immediately think of. They think of leadership as power, maybe salary, right? And yes, those things come with it, right? But if you're leading just based on a the title, then pause for a second, look behind you and realize no one's following you. Okay? Mm -hmm. And the last one would be emotional intelligence. Now, this one gets a little bit mixed up. We call it EQ for short, right? And really what it is, it's the ability to read people. I think that's a huge thing, right? Nonverbal communication is 93% of what is being said, okay? Only 7% of what's being said are words. 93% of communication actually is nonverbal. When you find someone who is emotionally intelligent, okay, they're going to be empathetic. They're going to be able to pick up what is being said, maybe even what's not being said based upon the person's facial expressions, their body language, right? People who have high emotional intelligence are able to adapt in situations. We can have a plan, but how often do plans come to fruition? Anyone who's an entrepreneur out there, right? You have a business plan. Once you have that, establish that business plan, in the next 30 seconds, it's already become somewhat obsolete. It's like when you buy a new car, as soon as you drive it off the driveway, it's already depreciating in value. And that's the same thing with business plans. I'm not saying don't have a plan, okay? But I'm saying that people who are emotionally intelligent are the ones who are able to respond, not react.
especially in times of crisis or chaos. And I know that's a lot to swallow in terms of communication, leadership, and emotional intelligence, okay? But I hope with those examples, you understand that whether you are a manager, someone who's climbing the corporate ladder in your career, or whether you're an entrepreneur, the last time I checked, we have to work with people. And the only way that we can differentiate ourselves, especially in these days between humans versus AI, automation, robots, machines, is to have strong soft skills. Otherwise, to be honest, you're obsolete. We're starting with communication. Communication is not just about what you speak. It's about what you hear, how you listen and how you communicate. Then you spoke about emotional intelligence. Before that, leadership. Leadership is not about power. It's about being a servant leader. Servant leadership is the best form of leadership. And of course, then emotional intelligence is important because instead of reacting, you are responding. That leads to a different altogether situation which is present there. And then you mentioned that other things that you speak about are empathy and punctuation, right? What is what is it called? Time management. Time management. Yeah. So speak uh, a little bit about that. as well. Yeah. So I think one area that leaders tend to lack a little bit in is empathy. And let's define what empathy is first, okay? Empathy is being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Now, being empathetic with someone doesn't mean that you agree with their opinion or even agree with their stance, nor should you say, I understand how you feel, because if you don't say that, okay? But empathetic means that you try to see things from other people's perspective. Empathy, empathy doesn't mean I agree with you, okay? That's sympathy. That's a little bit different, okay? Let's not get those confused. So what I mean by that and what I mean by leaders tend to lack empathy is that they're so concerned about telling someone what to do. They're so concerned about people meeting the goals and the vision and the mission of the company. Now, all those things are important, right? But how you say something, how you deliver communication has a lot to do with empathy. And when we as employees say that we feel valued or we feel heard, or we feel appreciated by our managers or our leaders. That's because those leaders probably have strong soft skills. They probably are very empathetic, right? And once again, that doesn't mean that they see things or agree with the way we see things, okay? It just means that they care enough about us to care about how we see things. Mm -hmm. So empathy is huge. And not just for leaders, but people in general. Because anyone who has ever said to you, oh, you, you seem like you're a good listener, or you seem like you care, or you seem like you're very empathetic, right? That is a compliment, regardless of what your position is, all right? Now, with time management, this is one that probably doesn't get put in the category of soft skills, but technically it is. There probably are 20 to 30 soft skills that are out there, and we don't have enough time on this podcast to talk about all those types of things. But I love to talk about time management myself, because I think, number one, in a career setting, it's very professional. Being punctual is showing that you're respectful of other people's time, right? We can argue that time is the most valuable currency. It's more valuable than money. And as you get older, I'd like to believe that time becomes even more important. For myself, when I was an entrepreneur, I was by myself. I was single, right? Fast forward to now, I'm married and I have kids. Punctuality, time management matters more to me now than it did before because I have more people to care for. There's more people who are depending upon me. So time management has a lot to do with, especially if, for those of you who are entrepreneurs or even managers, right? And other people are, are depending on you if you're a manager and an, as an entrepreneur, especially for working for yourself, you don't have anyone to tell you when to get up. You don't have set office hours. You don't even have a set paycheck. 
that that goes day to day, right? Week to week, month to month. It's highs and lows, right? Time management says that I'm going to set a structure and a routine for me because I know my energy levels and I know when I do my best work and you need to carve that out. You need to set breaks. You need to take care of yourself, whatever it needs to be. And a lot of people who lack organizational skills, really at the heart of it is they don't know how to manage time, right? So I think one of the things that I like to speak upon when I talk about time management to people is the fact that if you don't have a structure, regardless of how type A you are or type B you are, it doesn't really matter, okay? Time is going to get the best of you because time doesn't wait for you. And we all get the equal amount of time. It's just a matter of how we use it. And so I'm really big on efficiency and efficiency comes from prioritizing not just organizing, but prioritizing your time. It's not just good enough to have a to-do list. You need to prioritize your to-do list. Because if you accomplish 10 things in a day that mean nothing versus accomplishing the three that mean the most, and yet you have seven left over, I would rather have that list done because those things are timely. Those things are more important. Who cares how many things you knock off the list? That list is never going to be empty anyway. Okay, So you might as well put the things that are most important first and work from there. Wow. So now we know empathy and time management a little better than we, than we did before. Speaking about managers again, so managers control the retention and turnover rate at any company. How to train managers? Like bringing about speakers like you is one way. What other ways do we have? So I think one thing, because being a manager and being a leader is something that is really difficult to teach. I'm a big believer that companies need to invest in some type of manager training that's ongoing. And what I mean by ongoing is, ideally, you should be able to set aside monthly funds to be able to bring either someone like myself in, or you have a built-in program. We are talking about being a manager means that you're constantly learning, okay? As a leader, you cannot teach people things that you don't know yourself, right? You can't take people on a journey that you haven't been before. So if you aren't learning as a leader, then you are of no really value to your people, okay? So that pushes a lot of responsibility on that particular person. If the company is smart, they will invest in someone or some program to make sure that the managers are always being updated with the latest stuff. Now, sometimes that's as simple as being in a manager's group discussion or having some type of accountability or feedback, right? Sometimes as employees, it's easy to be able to say, hey, do this, do that, right? But when does that happen to a manager? And the reason why I want to emphasize the turnover and retention rate is because a lot of times executives and people in the C-suite say, yeah, that's nice to have. And sure, that'd be great if we had these manager trainings and workshops or whatever like that, right? But I don't necessarily see how that affects our bottom line. Here's how it affects your bottom line, okay? If turnover and retention matter to you, and it should because as an example, in the tech industry, the turnover rate is 20%. It's the highest in any industry, right? So you take someone who leaves after six months, right? And you basically times their salary by two. That's how much you lost by that person leaving. So spend all your money on interviewing, recruiting, orientation. You've just flushed that money down the toilet when someone leaves. And why do they leave? Because right when they get into that spot and they're under someone who isn't investing in them, they're going to leave. People don't always leave for money. They leave a lot of times because there's a lack of career development opportunities. You speak to anyone who's in their 20s or 30s, and they will choose career growth as much, if not more, than salary, especially if the same money is offered between two companies. 
they're going to look at the situation and say, okay, do I like my manager? If I do, a little bit more money is not going to be worth it. If I hate my manager, of course, I'm going to entertain other offers. So I think people need to understand that being a manager is tough, but companies need to take that responsibility and say to themselves, what if we don't want to see talent leave, then we're going to have to do something for talent to stay. Wow. So if you don't want the talent to leave, you'll have to do something for talent to stay. Scott, so next question to you is about something different. Goal setting. How do you look at it? Goal setting and goal getting, which is pursuing. Yes, we're in January and that's the big time for New Year's resolutions. People like to set these lofty goals, right? The hard part is that a lot of times when people set goals, by the time it hits February, they've already failed. And so they just don't want to set goals anymore, right? I think the first thing to, to think about is, number one, you should ask yourself, why are you setting those goals in the first place? Okay. Now there's an acronym called SMART goals, right? And that stands for specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time sensitive. Okay. Now that's a lot to remember. So I'm just going to say, focus on one letter. We're going to focus on the M and it's called measurable. Okay. Number one, if your goal that you're setting is not measurable by number, by time, by quality to a degree, okay, it's not a good goal. And the, the more ambitious you get, the larger the goal that you have, the longer amount of time you should give yourself. But if you have a six month to a year out goal or, or longer, right, you also need to have milestones at those monthly marks to make sure that you're charting your progress, okay? So if you're going to be a person who likes to set goals, there's nothing wrong with that, all right? But I'd like to say that the idea or inspiration or even aspiration of accomplishing goals is something that we get happy about, but a lot of us don't want to do the work. We get a little bit lazy. We feel a little bit of rejection or failure. We don't want to feel that anymore, right? So make sure that you're setting yourself up to succeed. And if you're going to have a goal, make sure it's measurable and you're going to have to chart your progress along the way. Now, I'd like to throw a different spin at this, okay? Now, although I'm not saying I'm against goals because I'm not, I set them myself, okay? But I am a bigger fan of habits, okay? And let me tell you why, okay? The reason why I believe that habits are better than goals is because habits are things that you can control. And for people who are listening out there who are very type A, you're gonna love this because habits are based upon two things. They're, they're based upon your effort and your attitude. So let's just say my goal for January is to lose 10 pounds. Okay, so I'm going to do say things like, oh, I'm going to watch my diet. I'm going to go to the gym, right? Okay, you could do all those things and you still could not accomplish your goals. You could not do those things. And of course, you're not going to accomplish your goals. Okay, now let me say that same thing in a habit statement. Okay, what I want to do is I want to be able to control my habits in the next 30 days and hopefully I will pass or surpass my goals. So if I want to get healthier in general, I'm going to say to myself, okay, I'm going to try I'm going to make sure I work out three times a week for 30 minutes, right? You can get very specific about it, whatever, right? And then I'm going to make sure that I reduce my sugar. Let's say no soda for 30 days. For some of you, that might be very difficult, but let's just say that's an idea, right? Now, at the end of 30 days, if I track it, I can track whether I had soda and whether I went to the gym three times a week, right? Now, will that reach my goal? I don't know, but will I be healthier? I guarantee you'll be healthier, right? Now, the reason why I'm a big fan of habits over goals is that habits has more to do with lifestyle. Goals have more to do with achievement or failure, okay? And because we as humans hate rejection and we hate failure, we don't want to feel that. So even if you're a really goal ambitious person, you're going to fail at one point. And most likely that failure is going to sting, 
which makes you not want to set goals. Now, if you're a habit person, okay, like I've become, it's more about consistency, okay? So if I say to myself, three of the four weeks, I went to the gym three times a week, but one week I went two times because I got sick, big deal. It's not a big deal. I'm going to keep going because it's about consistency. It's not about perfection. And that's a thing, the distinction I want to make is that at the beginning of this year, everyone wants to be optimistic about these goals that they have. And I'm not trying to be a downer and say that you can't do it, okay? But if you can shift your mentality from being someone who sets goals and likes to achieve goals to someone who wants to create these good habits, whether it be your career or your physical health or whatever it may be, that's going to transform the way you think and then therefore it's going to transform the way you behave and therefore ultimately it's going to produce better results. Totally. totally. So habits are goals. Of course, goals are important and it should be measurable and uh, that smart acronym is important. But habits is the way to go because habits are, is something that you do regularly without any much effort put in, conscious effort. People are getting curious now. They want to reach out. So what are some ways of getting a hold of you? So I would say the best way is I'm really active on LinkedIn. So you can just type in my name and you can find me on LinkedIn. There's no other people impersonating me on there. So that's probably the easiest. You can also search for my site. My site is just my name, scottasai.com. I would say for the most part, that's the best way. I like to say that I, I get back to people pretty quickly in general. So don't feel shy to reach out. You can just say you heard me on Kieran's podcast and send me a connection request or something like that. And, and we can connect and talk from there. So much of my journey as an entrepreneur, as a coach, now a speaker is so much about relationships. So I think that in life, you need to learn to value your connections. And that's why I'm such a believer in soft skills, because to me, soft skills are the vehicle that create really strong relationships and partnerships. Totally. totally. So if you guys want to reach out to Scott, reach out at LinkedIn, Scott Asai, A-S-A-I, and his website is scottasai.com. Final question for the day, Scott, tell us about what to do. Tell us for the entrepreneurial to grow in business or to grow in life. What are some action steps you would suggest that can lead them to, to achieve their goals? So the first thing that, that comes to mind is that you need to really prioritize your own growth. So I talked a little bit about this as someone who used to manage people and now works with managers, is that even if you work at a company that has leadership development programs or you have a mentor, you still need to take personal responsibility and ownership for your own growth. Anything that a company offers is a bonus, but you should never depend on that. So whether you're an entrepreneur, obviously you're by yourself, probably a manager, an employee, you need to invest in yourself. Okay, the top 1% earners in this world invest back in themselves. So what does that say? That says that if you want to get closer to that percentage, you need to start doing things that are going to help you grow, right? And I can't tell you which areas you need to grow in. That's something that you need to evaluate and figure out for yourself. But if you don't carve out that time intentionally and you don't make that a priority in your life's going to pass you by and you're never going to be able to get that time back. And so if you haven't already made that something that you want to accomplish in 2024, after this podcast, sit down, maybe write it down, type it on your phone, whatever you want to do, and make sure that you're doing something that's going to be measurable, right? That you can say, hey, I did this and this is what I became or this is who I'm trying to become because you can't blame anyone else for your lack of growth. You can only blame yourself. So company, if it provides you opportunities to grow, it's a bonus, but 
doing it yourself is the priority do it for yourself grow and make something go make some goals that are measurable that will lead you to more success if you resonated with spot say hi to spot on linkedin at spot aside and his website is spotaside.com thank you so much scott for such a great conversation it was a pleasure to meet you today and an honor to host you oh you're welcome kieran it was a lot of fun and i hope that people can take one thing from what we said today and apply it to their lives. Do it, guys. With that said, I am your host, Kiran Nagarad, signing off. You guys take care. Bye.